Good morning, New Beginnings. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, I'm excited to be here with you today. My name is Daniel Norris. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at New Beginnings. And uh, I'm happy to be here, like I said, with you today as we wrap up this series that we've been in over the last few weeks called Chasing Jesus. How many of you have enjoyed this sermon series over the last three weeks? How many of you, I'm going to quiz you a little bit because I know it's summer and we're all scattered. How many of you have been here all three weeks and this is now your fourth week? Anybody? Uh, you know, hey, it's okay if you haven't been. I missed a week as well last week <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm one of the pastors here. So I was out of town as well and I, I missed, but I was able to watch Pastor Todd online. This has been an incredible series and we're wrapping this series up today as we finish out chapter three and we're going to look at the very first verse in chapter four. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter three. That's where we're going to be camping out today. But as you make your way there, I want to share with you and remind you, because like I said, it's summer and we've been in and out, some of us. So I want to remind you about the things that we've been learning, what Paul has been saying to us over these past few weeks. If you remember all the way back to, to week one, starting in the very first verses of chapter three, Paul said to the, the church at Philippi and to us that he talked about this thing called righteousness. And he said, this is what you need. You need righteousness because you don't have it. And what it means to be righteous is to be made right with God. And Paul said, there's nothing you can do. It's not about your works or your religion or anything else. It is only about what Christ has done. Amen. And then week two, Paul tells us, in response to what Christ has done, now his aim and our aim should be this. It should be to know Christ, not just a head knowledge about Christ, not just knowing more information about Christ, but to know Christ is to experience Christ. And we said this, we said to experience Jesus is to be transformed by him through suffering for him. Y'all remember this? in order to become like him. And then last week, we heard from Pastor Todd again, and Pastor Todd shared with us that Paul says, as he goes on to talk about knowing Jesus, that knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus this way requires a certain mindset. You remember that if you were here last week? And he said, it's a, it's a spiritually mature mindset. And Paul describes this mature mindset as that of an athlete. He uses words like pressing on and running after and straining toward the prize. And so he says this mature mindset, this spiritually mature mind is that of a humble and disciplined and relentless athlete. Speaking of athletes, I was reminded as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded about my early years in college as a track and field athlete. I had the opportunity and the privilege of going to Texas State University down in San Marcos, except I'm really old and it wasn't called Texas State. It was Southwest Texas State. Eat them up cats, right? It was Southwest Texas State when I was there. And I had a blast while I was there. Probably had a little too much fun, if I'm being honest. But I ran track there and I had uh, this amazing coach. She was about five foot nothing. She was from Russia. Her name was Coach Gina Bukarina. There you go. And so we couldn't say that, so we would just call her Coach G. Coach G was an Olympic hurdler from Russia. And so I don't know how I ended up with such an amazing coach, but I did. And here was what Coach G 
would say to me all the time. As a young freshman, I was immature. I was all of those things that most 19-year-olds are. Thought I knew everything but knew nothing. Uh, And here I am thinking I'm going to go to the Olympics and all this other stuff. And I get there. And what I realized pretty quickly is that I was easily distracted. I was easily um, thrown off course. I was easily just um, uh, distracted from running my race. And so Coach G would every single day, she would take her whistle that she, she was always blowing on. And she would take her whistle out. When I would come around, she would look at me and she'd say, hey, Daniel, listen. And she would hit me with her whistle on the, on the arm, on the strap, with the rope, not the metal part, sometimes the metal part, the, the rope. And she would say, listen, focus, focus. I need you to focus. You're so distracted by all the other runners. You're distracted by their breathing. You're distracted by their footsteps. You're letting them determine your pace. She'd say, run your race. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't, don't let them throw you off from your race. Focus and run your race. And this is exactly what Paul is going to say to us today. As we talk about chasing Jesus, Paul's going to say, listen, I need you to focus. I need you to run your race. I need you to stay the course. That is the title of today's message. If you're taking notes, it is stay the course. And Paul's going to tell us how. If you have your Bibles and you're already there, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, let me hear you say, the Bible is true. Here's what Paul says to us in Philippians 3. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter four, verse one, Paul goes on and says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you help us to understand the things that you need us to understand? Would you remove the scales from our eyes? Would you soften our hearts, God? Would you help us to grab hold of your word that is truth? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. So we're talking about chasing after Jesus. And today, like I said, Paul is gonna tell us He's going to share with us some some reminders. He wants us to know how you and I, as believers, can focus and run our race and stay the course. The first thing Paul wants us to see right out of the gate is this. We don't run alone. 
He says, we run with others. So if you're taking notes, that's what he wants us to see right out of the gate in verse 17. He says, we don't run by ourselves. We don't run alone. We run with others. Look what Paul says there in verse 17. He says, brothers, join, like, come on, let's go, get with it, follow me. He says, join in in, in, in imitating, I'll get it out in a second, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Paul says, if you want to stay the course, if you want to run a good race, if you want to chase Jesus with everything that you have, you don't run alone. You run with others. There's, a, there's an African proverb that says this. It says, if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, you better run together. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, church at Philippi, listen, church at New Beginnings, if you want to stay the course, Paul says, imitate me. Follow the example that you have in us. Now, if you're like me, when you read this at first, you're like, Man, that sounds a little prideful and arrogant, Paul. Like you're saying, imitate you. You think like you're the standard. You think you're the example. And and before you judge Paul too quickly, which by the way, I'd say Paul's a pretty good example to follow. But before you jump to conclusions and go, man, that's arrogant of Paul. That's prideful of Paul. Let me remind you what Paul just said a few lines up in verse 12 of chapter three. He said this, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you remember right before that as well, Paul said, hey, everything I used to put my confidence in Everything that I, I used to put all of my hope and all of my confidence in, my, my, my talent, my intelligence, my religion, my good works, all of those things. Remember, Paul said, I realized all of those things were lost and compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So I don't count any of those things anymore. Paul says, I've, I've died to those things. Those things are gone. They're garbage. They're rubbish. Paul said, I, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, But here's the one thing I am doing. I am relentlessly chasing after Jesus with everything that I have. And he says, imitate me. But if it's, if you don't imitate me, he says, imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus and all of these others that I've sent to you. And if you remember all the way back in Philippians chapter one, he gives us the the structure of the church. He says, you also have elders and deacons and pastors and leaders. Those are the people that you should imitate as well. Model your life after them. Follow their lead, follow their example. Chase them as they chase Jesus. But Paul says, here's the one thing I know, you don't do this alone. You do not run alone. You see, Paul understood the power of running with others. As I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about running, by the way, you're gonna get a lot of sports illustrations this this morning. It's hard not to when you're reading Philippians. Um, I was thinking back to that freshman year of college, and I was thinking about um, the very first 
practice that I had. And it was in the, the heat of August in central Texas. It was our fall off season and conditioning. And I show up, it's guys and girls, it's upperclassmen, rookies, freshmen, underclassmen. And Coach G lays out the workout for us for that day. And she says, hey, here's, here's what we're doing. Here's the run. And uh, you got to remember, I was a sprinter. And so you may, if you don't know a lot about sprinters, here's all you need to know. We don't like to run far. We like to run fast and get it over with and go grab a, a glass of water, a cup of water. So I like to run short and fast and be done. I don't run two and three and four and five miles. And she goes, hey, we got a five mile run today and I about fell over and died right then. And I was like, this is not gonna go well. It's 100 degrees and 100% humidity and this is gonna be awful. And she says, here's what I want you to do. And so Coach G knew a thing or two. She said, hey, you, you freshmen, you rookies, here's what I need you to do. And she placed an upperclassman with us rookies. And she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow them. I want you to stay behind them. Don't pass them. Don't fall too far behind. Stay right behind them because here's what they know. They know the path. They know the pace. And they know where the potholes are that might trip you up and hurt you. She said, so stay close. Follow them and they'll show you the way. That's all you gotta do. So I said, I, I, hopefully I can do that. Paul knows the same thing. Paul knows that we as believers need an upperclassman to help show us the path, the pace, and the potholes that might trip us up. And so Paul says, hey, imitate these people Run, don't run by yourself. Don't run alone. Run with others. He understood the power of community and running with others. So let me ask you this question, New Beginnings. Who are you running with? Do you have any upperclassmen in your life that know the path, that know the pace, and that know where those potholes are that will trip you up as you try to chase after Jesus. Those things that might hurt you. Those things that want to derail your run, so to speak. Who are you running with? Who are you imitating? And on the flip side of that, who are you leading? This thing, by the way, is called discipleship. Who is it that you are being discipled by, and who are you discipling? Paul always had a Timothy and a Barnabas. There were always two or three or four guys that he was pouring his life into. And by the way, if you look at the entire gospel, so did Jesus. He had his 12, but he also had his three, Peter, James, and John, that, he, that were in his inner circle that he really poured into. And those, 12, those guys went out and changed the world. So let me ask you again, who are you running with or are you running all by yourself? This is men and women, by the way. Couples, you should have other godly couples that you are running with that are showing you how to do this thing called the Christian life as a married couple and as parents. We need each other. Now, 
when I asked that question, if you didn't immediately think of three or four or five people that you're running with, then guess what? Paul would say you're in trouble because you're running all alone. And you, you may not know the path. You may not know the pace. And you definitely may not know where those hidden little potholes are. They're gonna trip you up and hurt you. And if you're here today and you're going, man, I, I don't have anyone. I don't know where to even begin. We're gonna come back to this at the end, okay? Because listen, you are a part of the New Beginnings family, even those of you watching online. You don't have to run alone. We want to run with you. We want to help you with the path and the potholes and all of those things. Paul says this, he says, we don't run alone because it's dangerous. Like I said, there are many, many potholes and things out there. And Paul says this, the second thing he wants to know is we don't run alone, we run with others because, listen, there are many imposters on the path. That's those potholes that might trip you up. Look what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul says there are many imposters on the path and they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice Paul says there are many who walk this way. He doesn't say there are a few that walk this way. He doesn't say you might stumble across one every now and then. That's not what he says, is it? He says there are how many? How many? Many. Many means what? A lot. Many. Not just a few. He says there are many imposters out there, listen, who profess Christ but do not possess Christ. Let me say that one more time. There are many imposters on the path that you're running on. They'll profess Christ with their mouth, but they do not possess Christ with their heart. In other words, they'll say they love Jesus all day long. They can talk the talk, but they don't have it right here. They don't possess Christ. They do not belong to the family of God. Now listen, I know, because I, I have the tendency to do this as well. I know when I read these strong words where Paul says, man, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, that immediately my mind goes, well, they're all out there. It's those people out there that living a certain way, acting like this. They're, they're all out there, but Paul said, remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the church. And he says, there are imposters, many imposters. And guess what? They're on the same path as you. They're running with you, so to speak. You might wanna watch out. You might wanna be careful. In other words, Paul's saying, they're among us. 
Listen what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. For they are, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Listen how Charles Spurgeon describes these enemies of the cross. He says, the greatest sorrows of the church have been brought upon her, not by the arrows shot by her foes, not by the discharge of the artillery of hell, but by the fires lit in her own midst, by those who have crept in to her in the guise of good men and true, but who were spies in the camp and traitors to the cause. See, Charles Spurgeon is saying just what Jesus said in Matthew 7. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing. They're sly. They're sneaky. They're running down the same path with you, among you. But they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They do not belong to the family. Paul warns us about these imposters along the path. But listen, he, he warns us, it says, with tears in his eyes. Don't miss that. If you have your Bible, I would highlight that, circle that. Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi. In this letter, if you look at what the entire book of Philippians is described as, it is a letter of joy. It is known as the book or the letter of joy, but yet here Paul is weeping as he writes these words. Why? Like why would Paul write these words and weep and, and when he thinks about the enemies of the cross of Christ? I think it's because Paul loves these people. He, he knows where the path they're on leads. Don't, don't miss this moment. That's why I wanted you to circle that and highlight it in your Bible. This stood out to me really for the very first time this last week. I, I've read over this before, but I've missed this. Paul is weeping over the enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen, because in this moment, I believe Paul remembers what it's like to be lost. He, this is his own story. Remember, he, he used to put all of his confidence in his flesh, in religion, and all. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. He held the guy's coats that stoned Stephen and killed him. Paul was an enemy of the cross of Christ. He thought it was false. He thought it was fake. He thought it needed to be extinguished. And here Paul is now writing these, this letter, writing these words. And as he thinks about the enemies of the cross, it says that he, he writes with tears in his eyes. He is weeping over the lost. He is weeping over those who are enemies of the cross of Christ because Paul remembers what it's like to be where they're at. And listen, New Beginnings, I, I, I want to ask you this. I was convicted of this this week. How often do we weep for the lost? If they're among us and they're around us, they're everywhere we go, every single day, where we live, where we work, where we play, how often does your heart break for those that are headed straight to hell if something doesn't change in their life? Paul knew their, their destiny was destruction. If something doesn't intervene, if someone doesn't intervene and save them, then they will spend an eternity 
in hell. And Paul knew if it wasn't for the grace of God that intersected his own path, his own life, he would still be there on that same path headed for destruction. And so as he thinks about these enemies of the cross, he writes these words with tears in his eyes because he knows where they're headed. He knows what's going to happen if something doesn't change. And Paul begins to describe who these people are, how they live, how they operate. He says this through the rest of verse 19. He says, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. When he says their God is their belly, Paul is, this is Paul's creative way of, of describing or saying that the enemies of the cross of Christ, listen, they live for one thing and one thing only, to please themselves. They desire nothing but temporary, surface level, earthly things. They don't desire God. They desire whatever they want, whenever they want it. They're not living a crucified life to serve God and serve others. They live to serve self. They live for pleasures. He says their God is their belly. They indulge themselves. They're focused on themselves. They live to do whatever pleases me, myself, and I. As I was reading through this and thinking through this, I remember that's exactly how I used to live. I was on the same path, headed for destruction. I used to live for one person and one person only, me. Whatever makes you happy, whatever gives you pleasure, pursue those things. Don't worry about anyone or anything else. Just take care of yourself. And at 23 years old, luckily, the grace of God intersected my life and changed me. Paul goes on to say, he lets us know that this, this way of living is the exact opposite of the way that he describes himself earlier on in chapter three, verse 10. Listen how uh, if, if the enemies of the cross live focused only on themselves, listen how Paul describes his life and the things that he, the way he's living and the things he's pursuing now in verse 10, he says, My, the way I live now is that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Paul's passion was to know Christ. He lived to please and serve Jesus. But enemies of the cross of Christ live to please only themselves. Their God is their belly. He goes on to say they glory in their shame. In other words, they glory in immoral and wicked things, calling those things good. Listen how Isaiah the prophet describes this type of mindset, this type of thinking in, in Isaiah 5, chapter 5, verse 20. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is what the enemies of the cross of Christ do. They call evil good. They glory in those things that should bring them shame. This is the culture we live in, by the way. Doesn't take long watching the news or just 
going about your ordinary everyday lives, if you just pay attention, you'll see that this is the way the culture lives and operates. That they take the things that are wicked and evil and immoral and now they call them good. They call darkness light, right? And light darkness. If you don't believe me, just try to have a conversation about some of those things with certain people. And you'll, you'll walk away going, man, they're, they're blinded by these things. They don't see it. Like, how could they think that these immoral things are, that they're okay? Paul says they glory in their shame. He goes on to describe these people as those having their mindset on earthly things. Remember last week, it was, we talked all about having a, a, a spiritually mature mindset, chasing after Jesus with everything that we have. And Paul says, these enemies of the cross, they do not have a spiritually mature mind. They are not thinking about Jesus and the things of heaven. They are focused on one thing and on one thing only. Their minds are set on earthly things. Paul says they are friends of the world. They focus, their focus is on the things of this earth instead of the things of heaven. Uh, again, this is the complete opposite mindset of those who are chasing after Jesus. Paul describes, uh, Paul describes those, those enemies of the cross of Christ and how they live. He describes who they are and how they live. And then he quickly reminds us as he's talking about that. He says, listen, they, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but you don't live that way anymore. You're different. He says, you're a citizen of heaven. You, you used to live this way. You used to think this way. You used to have your mind set on these earthly things. And then you met Jesus. And he transformed your mind. He made you a new creation in Christ. You no longer live this way. You no longer focus on those things. For you are a citizen of heaven. Look what he says in verse 20. Paul's saying, if you want to stay the course, here's the thing you need to know. You need to remember who you are and who you're chasing after. Verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. He says, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says these enemies of the cross, they live like this. Their primary focus is on earthly and temporal things. And then he says, but not you. You're a citizen of heaven. This, in other words, Paul's saying, this is not your home. Those, those people live this way. Their mind is focused only on earthly things. But you are a citizen and your home is no longer earth. Your home is now in heaven. Again, I, I think it's important for us to remember the context of who Paul's talking to. You've got to think back to his original audience. He's writing to Christians that live in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony in Macedonia. Philippi is 800 miles from Rome, but it is a Roman colony. The citizens of Philippi enjoy the benefits of Rome. They take great pride in being a Roman citizen. They are enamored by Rome. 
the architecture of Rome, the clothing of Rome, the wealth of Rome, the power of Rome. So Paul had to constantly remind these believers in Philippi, listen, I know you live in Philippi. I know you're a Roman citizen, but your home is not Philippi anymore. Don't get distracted. Don't get thrown off the course by all of these things here on earth. Your home is now in heaven. You've got to change the way you think. I love that Paul, all throughout the letter to the Philippians, reminds them and reminds them and reminds them over and over and over. Don't lose focus. You no longer live this way. You're not a citizen of earth anymore. You're merely a foreigner or an alien, as scripture tells us, passing through. This is not your permanent residence. This is not your permanent address anymore. The moment you said yes to Jesus and started chasing him, you received a new address. And Paul says, that is who you are now Live like that even while you're here passing through. As I was reading this, I was reminded I've had the opportunity to travel a little bit this summer. I was able to go on a mission trip down to Brazil to another country. I've been able to travel a little bit for work. And then even last week, I was able to be on vacation. And I know you're probably thinking, man, are you ever here? And the answer is yes, I'm here. I just, it's summertime. Like I said, you guys are all with me. You missed a few weeks as well. But here's what I have been reminded of this summer as I've traveled. Whether I was in Brazil on the Amazon River for 10 days um, or whether I was back in Florida last week at the beach. Here's what I was reminded of when I was traveling is that there's no place like home. How many of you agree with that statement? It doesn't matter how good the vacation is, how amazing the food was in Brazil. You get into it a few days and you start missing home. I mean, when I'm gone, I, I'm like most of you. I, I don't sleep as well. Uh, and no matter how great the bed is or the pillow is, like it's just not mine. It's not my bed. It's not my pillow. It's not my routine. And before you start judging me, I'm not that high maintenance, all right? Um, but the, the more you travel and the more you're gone, like the, the, the longer you're gone, like the more homesick you become, like your heart just misses being home. And I, like I said, I'm, I miss my bed. I miss the comforts of home. But listen, that's not what makes me homesick. When I'm gone and when I'm traveling and when I'm away, it's not I want to be home just because I want my bed. Listen, the reason I'm homesick is because of who's waiting for me at home. I want to be home because of who's there. I want to be with them. And nothing is the same without them. See, home is where, if home is where the heart is, then when I'm not home, I'm homesick and my heart's hurting a little bit. And this is what Paul is going to re reminding us of as we look at the last few verses of Philippians 3. He says, listen, if you want to stay the course then remember who you are. You're a citizen of heaven and where your home is. But listen, he says, but more importantly, remember who's at home. 
who it is that's there that's waiting for you. He goes on throughout that verse and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love that Paul adds this powerful reminder at the end of Philippians 3. All right, I need some participation in here. Where's my 40 and up crowd? You don't have to say your age, just say 40 and up. Here, just raise a hand. I'm not gonna ask you how old you are or eliminate everyone so we see who the oldest is. Where's my 40 and up crowd? I got lots of hands. Get them up, get them up, hold them up. I gotta, I gotta see who's in here. All right, so 40 and up crowd, and I guess if you, if you really wanna participate 30 and up, you can but everybody will understand what I'm saying here in just a minute. How many of you have started to notice maybe a few more wrinkles? (laughs) How many of you have started to notice maybe a few more gray hairs? How many of you have started to notice like new aches and pains for no reason? It's awful, isn't it? How many of you are like me and you can somehow manage to hurt yourself while you're sleeping? <laughs> like you wake up every day and you're like, what just happened? I, all I did was sleep. Is somebody coming in here and beating me with a bat while I'm asleep? And it might be my kids. I don't know. But every day I wake up, I'm like, man, what is going on with my back and my knees? And man, things are just falling apart. Like things aren't working the way they're supposed to anymore. And Paul, in, in all of his grace and all of his uh, humor, he reminds us in these last few verses, hey, listen, chasing after Jesus is hard. Like, I don't know if any of you are runners in here, but man, after you run, like, it, it starts to take its toll. It starts to beat you down. It starts to wear you out. Like Things just hurt. You can't go as far. You can't go as fast. You can't do the things you used to do, Right? You're not as good as you once were. I think there's a song like that, right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, man, we're chasing after Jesus with everything that we have. We're laying it all on the line. We're leaving it all on the field. And he says, and as you do this, like you're gonna go through some pain. You're gonna go through some suffering. And listen, all joking aside, I know there are people in this room and I know there are people watching online that your pain and your suffering is far greater than just wrinkles and gray hair and little aches and pains in your knees and back. Like you have suffered. You may be, have be, you may be living with a lifelong disease. You may have received a diagnosis that you never saw coming and you've been battling cancer and other things. And so I don't wanna make light of this by any stretch of the imagination. Like I know there is real pain and there is real suffering. And if anyone could write about pain and suffering, it was Paul. I mean, remember, he's writing this letter from a prison cell, not knowing how it's gonna end, but more than likely in his execution. And he writes with great joy and he writes to encourage these people, like, listen, no matter what, don't stop, don't give up. Don't lose sight of the prize. Your home is in heaven and Jesus is there waiting on you. And he says, and when you cross that finish line, he says, the one who holds all power 
will transform our lowly, broken down bodies and he will make them brand new like his glorious body. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day, amen? Where I finally cross the finish line, running full speed into the arms of Jesus. And in that moment, all the aches and pain will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away. Every ounce of suffering and everything that you've ever gone through will be worth it because you'll see him face to face and you will know him completely. And he says that he will transform you and make you just like him. At the end of this chapter, really at the end of these verses, because it's the beginning of chapter four, Paul wraps this up and ties a bow on it with these words. He says this, he says, as you run the course, as you run this race, here's how you're gonna stay the course. You stay the course by standing firm in the Lord. He started this letter like this and he's gonna end it like this. Paul says, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. This is Paul at the very end doing what my coach did in college. Paul's got his whistle in his hand. And as you and I are running this race, he's looking at us and as we stand there, he's slapping us with the string on his whistle. And he's saying, listen, focus. I need you to focus. I need you to stay the course. And the way you're gonna stay the course is by standing firm in the Lord. He is your foundation. He is your salvation. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that will sustain you. And he is the one that is waiting for you when you cross that line. He is your prize. So stand firm and stay the course. This is what Paul says to us. So let me ask you this morning, New Beginnings, as we finish this up. What path are you on? What path are you on? Paul in this, these verses describes two paths. One path is chasing after Jesus and the other path is chasing after self. He says there's two types of people those that, are, that know Jesus and they're chasing after him and those that are far from him. They may say they know Jesus with their mouth, but their hearts are far from him. Paul says with tears in his eyes that that path leads to eternal destruction. But it's not too late. He's saying there, as long as there's still breath in your lungs and as long as your heart's still beating you can run to Jesus you can get off of that path and surrender your life to him so let me ask you again what path are you on this morning are you chasing Jesus or are you an enemy of the cross of Christ Jesus himself said this he said unless you 
deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. So which path are you on? Have you denied yourself, taken up your cross and followed Jesus? Or are you still running down that path? Paul says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. Let me ask you like this. Do you think more about the things of this earth than you do about heaven? I think that's for all of us. I was convicted of that this week. If heaven is my home, I should be consumed with it. I should be thinking about it way more than I do. So let me ask you again, what path are you on? Do you think more about heaven and Jesus, or do you think more about earthly things and self? That will help you determine and decide which path you're on. In a few moments as we pray, I'm gonna give you the opportunity. If you're on the path of self, chasing after those things, you're gonna have the opportunity to stop, get off that path and start chasing after Jesus. All you've gotta do is let the confession of your mouth and your heart be, Jesus, I need you. I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm sorry that I've been living my life as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And I no longer wanna be your enemy, I wanna be your friend. I want you, I need you. Jesus, please forgive me and please save me. That's all you've gotta do is just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Take my life, I'm chasing after you. For the rest of us, here's what I want you to wrestle with. Who are you running with? Are you running alone? Or are you running with others? If you're running alone, it's dangerous. I would challenge you today to not leave this place without stopping by Guest Central next, next steps and going, man, help me find my people. Help me find some people to run with. I promise you, we will help you. We will get you connected and we will run with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. God, I pray if there's anyone in here or anyone watching online that's an enemy of the cross of Christ, that does not know you, that is living a life only focused on themselves, only chasing after the things of this world, that today would be the day that you rescue them, that you save them from themselves, and that they move from being an enemy of the cross of Christ to being a friend of God, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would surrender their lives to you, that they would chase after you with everything they have. Jesus, would you do right now in this place by the power of your Holy Spirit what only you can do? God, would you save men and women and children? Would you save anyone watching online that does not know you? This is our prayer.
God, we ask you to move and do this. And we'll give you all the glory for it. For the rest of us, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see the value, the importance of running with others, that we were not made to run alone, but that we were made to run with others. And so God, help us to, to be courageous and to step out of our comfort and to find other believers that are just a few steps ahead of us that can show us the path, show us the pace, the pace and help us to avoid the potholes. This is our prayer. We ask that you would do this and we'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.